Shot is no good. The rebound tapped back outside. The cannon drives the lane. Blocked by Wolf. Rebound Pennsylvania. Dave Wall. The Bilski's Leon to the wall in the middle. Up and good. Leon too fast. Greg executed to perfection. Here comes Fields the other way for a foul. Gets to the foul line. Blocked from behind by Wall. Wolf with the rebound. No good. Rebound. Bob Wolf. Pennsylvania. Hot left pass to Bilski. Take the center run again. Bilski has Calhoun and Wolf all the way underneath. To be no good. Welcome to Penalty Box. Uh, I'm Sam Mitchell here as always with Carter Thompson. Uh, Mark Margolis isn't able to make it today because he's under the weather, so Yotsi Weitzman, usually our producer, is joining us for some discussion today. And uh, today we're talking about a whole bunch of stuff. We're talking about Penn men's basketball in a great game versus Kansas in the NCAA tournament. We're talking about... Uh, you know, the tournament overall, it's been a historic, upset-filled field so far. And uh, we're talking about women's hoops, who just lost in, in crushing fashion to St. John's in the NIT, and all sorts of other things, Penn Athletics. So let's get into it. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Penn's, Penn gave a pretty solid effort against Kansas, honestly, and kept the game a lot closer than I think a lot of people expected them mm-hmm. to, and had the lead for a while, ultimately fell... Um, as you might know by now, 76 to 60. But wow, I mean, during that game, it almost looked like they were gonna they were gonna pull the impossible off there for a yeah. little bit. You know that I think they gave a spark of hope, especially when you saw, you know, our our, our team and our guards, especially, kind of going toe to toe with some of the best players in the country and hitting big shots. You know, it, it's it's a huge stage, and and to go up by 10 like that on a one seed is really sort of incredible and you know it, it, they ended up not being able to pull it off and uh, Kansas kind of pulled away at the end but it it really was close for most of the game and and you saw you know Bill, Bill Self he was saying all week leading up to the game like you know he's thinking about the Quakers they're not just looking ahead to the second round and um, I think we, we gave him we, we, we justified those statements uh, with, with the way the pen played um, well, well, we certainly scared him because he yeah. put in Udoka Azubuke um, early on in the game, and they said that he was only going to be available in, quote, an emergency situation. Yeah. So I think when, when Kansas found themselves down 10 to Penn early on, that was a emergency situation. Right. And the big man came in, and that kind of changed the tide for the Jayhawks, I think, the rest of the way. Penn really couldn't quite keep up with them for the rest of that game. But it was it was – Interesting to see Penn put enough pressure on them that they play a guy that's really not 100% yeah. healthy. Yeah, well, it's interesting. He, Udoka, Udoka as a booty, he only played three minutes. Um, and I just, I don't think he was, I don't think he was fully ready to come back, but, like, I, I think you're definitely right about that. That was that emergency-type situation Bill Self alluded to, being down 10 points or whatever it was at that time. Like, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I think there's no denying uh, the game Penn played, especially for... You know, obviously the first 12 minutes they had that lead, but even for 12, 15 minutes into the second half, they were right there. You felt like they were one run away. All they needed is one run. Right. And ultimately they couldn't get that run, and Kansas pulled away a little at the end, but really like a highly played game, uh, you know, a well-played game on both sides, I think. Yeah, you know, it's it's the kind of kind of thing where you figure if you played that game a whole bunch of times, Penn could definitely steal one. I mean, there there was no question that they were in this, and and that I think although it didn't end up happening, the uh, all all that conversation, you know, five thirty eight New York Times writing about this could be the historic upset. You know, obviously there was another historic upset, but um, I, I think that you know, 
Caleb Wood hits a couple more threes like like we know he can and um, and, he, and he showed us he can and you know they just a, a couple more things fall their way yeah. and it, it could have been there's a lot of different game. I mean yeah. obviously the free throws but a lot of things right. try to turn um, you think about big momentum shit you think about the Devontae Graham the the three the three free throws he got on the on the foul at the end mm-hmm. of the first half you think about uh, I don't remember exactly where it, when it was but they had a Penn had a transition, fast break opportunity. Looks like they might get an open three out of it. They turned it over and Kansas dumped it on the other end. That's a five point swing. You think about all the moments like that, and it really right. could have been a different game. But uh, yeah, that's so true. I mean, I think ultimately it came down to you know could Penn stifle Devonte Graham and force him into a bad game, and he played phenomenally. I think he either had thirty points or almost got there. Right. And then on top of that. You know, just the little things that Penn could have done to keep it close, like maybe not turn the ball over as much and make a few more free throws. And I think that that's that's where Kansas kind of stole that one, where, you know, they kind of smashed the glass slipper, if you will, and um, kind of avoided the historic upset that Virginia ultimately suffered. Right. And uh, so, you know, I think as Quakers fans, we're, we're all real happy with this season. You know, getting to the tournament's great. I think we we all wanted a little bit more, but um, you know, the, uh, all in all, I think it's something to be happy about. But let's take take a few minutes to look ahead to next season and just just, just analyze that a little bit. You know, we're uh, Penn is losing Darnell Foreman, so obviously uh, incredibly impactful player, the starting point guard for the team, and also Caleb Wood, who um, you know was probably the best sixth man in the conference mm-hmm. this year. I mean, he yeah. gave such a spark on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, so two important players. Uh, just, uh, any thoughts on that? I mean, I think that they're I think they're going to be even better next year, honestly. I think that you lose kind of the heart and soul of your team in Foreman and obviously a great sharpshooter in Wood, but then you know, you have another year of Betley and Broder and you know, all of those other phenomenal sophomores coming back. And I think that it just helps them mature and maybe this loss helps them get motivated. I think that it's hard It's hard for me to see any other team in the Ivy League be better than what we would be next year. And I think that A.J. Broder is going to have just – I mean, I think he should have like an Ivy League player of the year kind of season next year. I think that's the level that he's kind of escalating towards. Yeah, I think you made a couple – just to, to talk about the first point you made – I agree that they're going to be better, but I, you know, I, I think it might be easy to misinterpret that as they're not losing that much. I think you would agree with me. Like, they are losing a lot. Like Darnell Foreman and Caleb Wood were two of their best players. They were really big pieces, and I think the fact that they're going to be better kind of speaks one to the confidence that and expectations we have for Broder and Betley. I think you're right. They're two of the best players in the Ivy League. Broder might be the best. Um, and two, we can talk about this a little more later, but. They had a talented freshman class who barely saw the floor this year, partly due to injuries, partly just due to rotation and coaching decisions. But we're going to see Eddie Stott next year, who had a huge game against Monmouth. We saw glimpses of what we could do. We're hopefully going to see Jelani Williams, who was injured all of this year, but he's a six-five athletic point guard who can shoot. Um, pretty highly recruited for Penn standards. I mean, I mean, it'll be just to interject. To see someone like Jelani play in this system, I think will be really, really interesting because with Darnell, you had a great facilitator, a great passer. He could score when he really needed to, but somebody who can like really create off the dribble like Jelani and, and who can, you know, Darnell attacks the rim pretty well, but 
you know, if, if he's as athletic and if he can come back as well as we, we hope and we think he can, you know, it, it'll really add another another piece yeah. to that offense. I think that's yeah. a good point. I think it's going to be a little bit of a different look from Penn. You know, assuming Jelani comes in and replaces Darnell as that, as that starter, I guess the point guard slot. Like, he's a great player, but he's not a true point guard. And Antonio Woods isn't really a true point guard either. Right. So I think you'll kind of have two combo guards uh, running the show. And I think, you know, they might not get the same kind of floor general that they had in Darnell, but I think they're going to have two really dynamic scorers at that right. position. Both can score on you in multiple ways. They can shoot, they can drive, um, and, I, and, and I think they'll be able to make plays passing the ball too. And, and I think we're excited. You know, we, we were talking about this before um, we, we got on the podcast, but uh, the Penn also has incoming in the uh, class of 2022 Michael Wang, I think is his name. Uh, from California, he's a four-star. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a four-star uh, ESPN ranked recruit, um, six-nine power he's forward. He's three stars too. He's three stars. I think he's three stars. But he's, he's three stars, but he plays like a four-star, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> he gets anyway. another star for going to Penn. Right. Uh, we think he's going to be great. Uh, we're excited. I, we, Yossi and I were talking about the uh, potential small ball lineup with Broder at the five. Could be really fun, really really electric scoring uh, lineup. For Penn, um, so yeah. so that's another thing to to look at. It'll be interesting to see how he gets inter- integrated into the. Yeah, line. obviously. I mean, I've only seen a few highlight tapes of him. And we'll have to see how he. I athletes. actually went out to California and, and watched some of his games. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. So. Um, <laughs> no, anyway, yeah, but I mean, he's a stretch four. He comes from a really uh, well-regarded high school program. He went to Matter Day, which is actually where Bull Bull, who's at one of the top recruits in the country, he played. Um, he's six he's, nine sits nine can shoot the ball and he's and you know he's three stars so like he's not you know breaking any records or anything but he is a higher recruit than aj broder was coming out of high school and look how aj broder has turned out so right um hopefully that sets the bar pretty high for him and um yeah and and, and actually on the topic of aj i wanted to add one more thing on that i think uh one of the big you know, kind of uh, uh, under the uh, under the surface or under the radar things for next year to, to look at, but very important is he, in my opinion at least, really demonstrated this season that he is the guy on this team. And it, it was Darnell's team in the sense that he's a senior, he's the floor general, he runs the offense, and he's like the spirit behind the team. But Broder has the biggest scoring impact, mm. uh, you know, probably has the biggest impact on the glass and in keeping possessions alive, and he's just a crucial part of their team on both sides of the ball and you know he he's incredibly talented and I think especially in the kinds of emotions we saw in this Kansas game and especially in some of the interviews he gave afterwards I think he also has that spark that he can become the leader of this team he'll, he'll be a junior next year you know he saw this team uh, struggle his freshman year lose to Princeton with a chance to go to March Madness and then finally get there but lose to Kansas and I think that's going to give him the emotional foundation that he needs to, to kind of fill that void that Darnell's going to leave. Well, he's the one guy on the roster who it seems like can take over any game and completely change it. And it's like that skill that a lot of really top players in college basketball have where you know, you're scared that he's going to change and completely alter a game whenever he wants to. And he can do that by stretching you out and shooting a three, you know, posting up, you know, getting rebounds off the glass and just making high percentage shots. And he can also do it by facilitating the offense. We've seen him, 
you know, him and Rothschild both be able to really pass well from the low post. And I think that that, you know, it's almost like how do you stop his game really in that sense. And then on top of that, how he enables the rest of the offense to open up as well. Because if you start focusing on him too much, then he can just dish it off to Betley or to right. Woods. I mean, I, I think some of some of the times we've seen Betley and Wood uh, really go off from beyond the arc is when you get those kickouts from Broder and, mm-hmm. and when he's drawing that defense. And, you know, I, I think we, we've seen good scoring from, from the rest of the team, but I, I think even though... You know, we constantly talk about how he's the best player in the team. Mm-hmm. I think he's maybe even a little undervalued still, and and hopefully we'll see him uh, adequately valued next season. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Well, who do you think that he's going to be dishing the ball to ultimately next season? Who is who's going to be the starting five for the red and blue next year? Now with you know Darnell leaving, Woods departing, who are we well, going to see in that starting the bench? Bench. He gets starter minutes, but Caleb does turn off the bench, so that's. Um, so I guess who who takes the bulk of the minutes mm-hmm. might be the better question mm-hmm. than who starts. Uh, but I mean, obviously, I think I think there's three clear starters: Antonio Woods, uh, AJ Ruder, and Ryan Bentley. Um, maybe some, maybe Antonio uh, gets. Yeah, I think those three are pretty much locked in. Yeah. Um, and Matt's is returning as well, and like you kind of saw his minutes fluctuate a little bit about throughout the season, um, but he started pretty much. Every, I think he started every game, um, so I think he'll probably start as well next year. Um, although I'm not, maybe we'll see, especially as the season wears on. Maybe we'll see uh, Michael right. Wan. If, if, if he comes in and, and really kind of takes things over, then you you could see that that switched up. But I think at least in the beginning. And then you could see that last that last guard spot uh, maybe in the beginning be kind of by committee until Donahue finds. I mean, I think the the good money's on Jelani, but uh, you know you could you could see a couple different things happening depending on what Donahue feels most comfortable with early in the season. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty similar to the season where he's got like a lot of guys that he likes to bring off the bench, and then he'll see you know similarly to how he found Woods to be or found Wood rather to be the primary contributor off the bench. I think that he'll employ that strategy with Jelani Williams and Wong and Scott and Devin Goodman as well. Um, so I think that I compl- I agree with what you guys said initially, and I think that I think Rothschild's starting minutes will kind of depend mostly on matchup. If Donahue wants to do like a Twin Towers at the bottom with Broder and Rothschild down low, or does he want to go small ball and play maybe a four-guard lineup and AJ as the stretch five? Right. Um, so I think that that's something I absolutely agree we need to keep an eye on next season. But I think it's it's pretty clear who the who the rotation is right now, you know, without it going in, you know, without seeing any game action going into next season. Definitely. Um, so just quickly, and then we've got a, some other stuff we'd like to talk about, but uh, but let's whip around and, and talk about expectations for next season. Um, you know, obviously this is a great season, but uh, I don't know, what, what, you, what do you guys anticipate happening next year? Well, kind of similar to what I was saying earlier, I think they're going to be even better. I think that this team's ceiling is as high as a 12 seed in the tournament and Ivy League champions. You know, maybe undefeated regular season too. I think that you know they're going to take this season and just build upon it and i don't see any reason why this team can't win 
a game or two in the tournament next year, depending on who they get matched up with in March Madness. But, I mean, it's if Princeton did it two years ago, or Yale did it two years ago, rather, as a 12, then there's Princeton no... Almost re- last year. They lost by one point. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so there's no reason not to think that this team can't do the exact same thing, you know, next season. I think it's perfectly, perfectly reasonable. Yeah, I mean, I will say, I think maybe, you know, obviously they got... We can... I don't know if you guys want to do into this. I think they got an unfortunate draw with the 16 seed having to play... You know, obviously, as a 16 seed, you have to play a number one seed, but having to play the number one seed in their home state, right? Um, that was tough. But I think as, as far as, like, the identity of this team, I think it was kind of well-built to be a team that could pull off an upset. Like, you think about they had a few dangerous three-point shooters. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you always see these three-point shooters getting hot in March. Right. You also had a good three-point defense, and you think maybe if you can, like, if you can force another team into a bad day from the from behind the arc, and you can get hot yourself, like, that seems to be a recipe for success, and I think next year, it'll they'll be they'll still have some shooters on the team, but their identity will be more of like an athletic, um, slashing team. Yeah, and I think that I think they're in really well posi- in really great position to win the Ivy League. I mean, I, th- I think it's them and Harvard fighting for the Ivy League the next two years, but I just wonder if in the tournament maybe where they're fa- where every team they're facing pretty much, especially if they're going to be somewhere in the like. 12 to 14 seed range. Every team is going to be pretty athletic that they're mm-hmm. facing. So, like, I wonder maybe if that's a little less well-suited to pulling off an upset. I'm not saying mm-hmm. I don't think they can, but mm-hmm. I just wonder, you know, yeah. I think there was something special about this team with, with just what their, with their, what their precise strengths were. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I would say that I think a big recipe for an upset also is a team that can really play lockdown defense, and mm-hmm. I, I think that that's something that could definitely endure, you know, um, losing a very good defensive player in Darnell Foreman, but I think that Donahue institutes a good system, and, and a lot of the other guards play good defense and, and can even get better next season. Yeah, um, I think something to watch out for uh, is Bryce Aiken coming back for Harvard. He didn't play in either of the games, or all, all three of the games we played. That might, I believe, or at least not significant. He minutes. might have played in one of them, but I think, um, yeah. But, you know, he's a very touted recruit uh, up in Cambridge, and uh, could you know be the spark that they need to get back to the no, tournament? Yeah, the, I think his freshman year he might have been freshman of the year. Um, there's no question that Harvard's going to be good. Also, for, yeah. I mean, all of their players, Aiken included, like Aiken, Seth Towns, Chris Lewis, Definitely. Justin Bassey, they're all sophomores, so they're all going to be back. Assu- assuming no, no none transfer, um, they're all going to be back next year. They're all going to be the, about the year after that. Um, so it's not it's not going to be easy for Penn, you know. I think they're probably the team to beat by virtue of being defending champions and returning most of their lineup. Right. Um, but I, I think if you ask the people over in Harvard who who they thought the team to beat was, they would say it's themselves. And I, you know, I think you I know, if you I ask we, Harvard that any year, they're going to say themselves. I, I, and I think well, yeah. But uh, I think they have a legitimate a legitimate claim on that. Not saying not saying that Penn isn't the team to beat, but. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's a two dog race for the most part. Overall, yeah. the Ivy League is young, so I, I I don't think there are any seniors on the first or second. I think Darnell Form is the only senior who got an All Ivy honor this year. So, no, probably not that many teams are going to be getting worse. Maybe Yale will be a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Princeton yeah. will be a little worse, but I think most of the teams are pretty up and coming this season. So before we transition to the next thing, I wanted to shout out for those who might have missed it in all of the uh, you know we, we had a lot of fantastic coverage um, 
this past week for everything March Madness related, but if uh, it got lost in the shuffle for you, definitely look back on the penalty box feed on SoundCloud because there's a very cool interview with Tony Price on there um, that I had the a great opportunity to talk with him earlier this week. Uh, he was the uh, leading scorer and a, a huge part of the 1979 team from Penn that went to the Final Four, one of the great Cinderella runs of all time, and he's still a really interesting, uh, you know, fascinating person to talk to. Uh, had a lot of really funny quotes. Some of them ended up in the article that I wrote. Many of them did not. So even if you read the article, it's definitely worth listening to at least a little bit of because he's a really funny, cool guy. So check that out. And uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about women's NIT. Yeah, really a tough loss to end the season for the women's basketball team. They were locked in a pretty defensive battle with St. John's um, all night tonight and just didn't quite get the shots there to fall at the end. A few turnovers might have undone some of their chances to put the cap on this one. But just an un- kind of an unfortunate end of the season. But what a career for Michelle Wilchetti and Anna Ross and Lauren Whitlatch. Um, you know, they were just pretty outstanding, honestly, for the four years that they were here. And so I think they deserve quite a shout out. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. You know, it- they put together something special uh, with this team for many, many years. Uh, it's, you know, maybe a disappointing end, although, you know, they, they played well against St. John's. They, they won the game against Albany before, home with the Palestra. And, you know, I, I, all good things have to come to an end. They weren't going to play forever. And, uh, you know, they, they, they've been great, and they've given a lot to this school and to that program. So... I don't think there's anything really negative to say about it overall. No, definitely not. I think it's definitely interesting to think about, you know, who kind of fills the void for Wilketty and for Ross and for Whitlatch because, you know, similar to Darnell Foreman, Anna Ross is just a floor general out there, uh, all-time program leader in assists. Um, Wilketty, obviously, Ivy League player of the year two years ago and just a dominant force down low. And then Whitlatch, the three-point specialist. And so... You know, how do you think that they replace those three in terms of production? I mean, it, it's going to be really difficult. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's somebody on the team like Anna Ross right now. That's something that McLaughlin's going to have to figure out and maybe get a few different looks. They, they do have talent at the guard position. It's just, you know, her style and, and what she was able to bring, I think, is very unique. And and, and for Woketti, I mean, she is is. Uh, on the all-time greats list for Penn women's basketball. So, you know, there's no question that's going to be a loss. I think the the only way that – so so this year between uh, Alea and Michelle, you know, Penn had an incredible front court. I mean, you know, definitely one of the best at the conference. You could argue that Bella Allery single-handedly makes the Princeton front court better, but I don't no. ne- really think that's necessarily true. Just uh, – you know, just because they were able to beat us in the tournament. But um, I think what has to happen next year, if if we want to see any sort of the level of front court production that we saw this year, is uh, Alea's got to take a leap. You know, she's been playing great. She's uh, I, if they haven't announced it yet, they're they're going to announce that she she will be Ivy League Freshman of the Year for sure um, for women's basketball. But you know, I I think she still has room to grow. She's she's just a freshman and. If she can take another leap and really lead this team from the center position, I think, uh, you know, 
that could that could at least start to fill the void that Wilketty's going to leave. Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely true. I think that um, she has to be phenomenal next season. I think that, you know, we might see a, a larger role for Princess Aguirre um, I think, coming uh, in as the forward position. Tori Crawford, too, has played some minutes, yeah, and she's been pretty good. Absolutely. She's she's played a lot. She played a lot in the game against Albany, the first-round NIT game, and gave some really good minutes. And I think that, um, you know, they played a lot of Katie Kinnam and – Kendall Grisella late in the in the NIT as well and so I think that those two could maybe serve as a point guard committee possibly mm-hmm. maybe um you know replacing Anna um but yeah I think that I think that the pieces are in place I think that the implementation or implementation rather um will be key for McLaughlin if they want to if they want to get back to being Ivy League champs and definitely you know upsetting the probably the favorite next year in Princeton right. with Bella Allery and I mean just speaking for myself, I'm definitely excited to see new and improved Alea Parker as a sophomore going head-to-head with Bella Allery. I mean, that's going to be a battle for the ages, right, mm-hmm. uh, down on the block. So th- that should be awesome. And, uh, you know, ho- hopefully they do well, but they're definitely going to miss those seniors. I mean, yeah. they've been great. Without a doubt. Well, going back, uh, shifting towards the men's side again, we did a lot of talk about the NCAA tournament in March Madness last week. And so we're going to follow up on some of the discussions that we had there and kind of see who is right and who is wrong. Um, I was wrong. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so... Yeah. The, the hot take of the day, I think, is that uh, predicting March Madness games is difficult and people often do it incorrectly. Um, I think that's something that no one's ever said before. So yeah, no. well, that's why people listen to the penalty boxes for hot takes. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, so let's let's talk about. Uh, I can start with mine. I said that uh, Auburn was weak. I thought that Charleston had a shot at knocking them off. Charleston did have a shot at knocking them off, although they didn't. Um, but I was somewhat vindicated, although overall wrong, in that Auburn got just totally demolished by a Clemson team that I don't even really think is all that good, um, and they won the SEC regular season this year, so the SEC is weak, which is what we said. Yeah. So uh, I would give that pick a C-. minus. Yeah, I think, I think that's warranted. <laughs> we were definitely definitely getting an A-plus on saying the SEC was weak. Right. Kentucky kind of waltzed in to the Sweet 16, and Texas although, a and although they haven't really had to play anyone that good that, yet. Well, that's that, what waltz in. Yeah, absolutely. Good point, good point. Yeah. Um, but my, my St. Bonaventure Bonnies were looking really good. Crushed they, UCLA. They crushed UCLA. I was feeling really good about right. the upsetting Florida. Cole and Jacobson looked like a fool, which rarely happens. But he was. He yeah. was looking like one. And then they just did not pull it off. They came out flat, unfortunately. So I was hardcore wrong on that one. But I get vindicated because there was there were two 11 seeds that made the Sweet 16. So it wasn't completely unreasonable <laughs> that I picked the, the Bonnies to go all the way. But I just picked the wrong play-in game 11 seed, unfortunately. But I'll take it, I'll take it either way. So what, what, what grade would you give yourself overall? Uh, probably a B minus. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I, so I like patting myself on the are, back a are, are, bit. We, are we scaling these at the end, like a, like a Harvard kind of grade inflation thing? Or? Oh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Ruthless. <laughs> no, um, 
But let's. I mean, who do, do you, you remember what Mark's pick was just before we, we move on to the next thing? I Didn't don't. Did he have like a Mark's two uh, a two seed losing in the first round? I feel like that's what he had. We're gonna have to go back and check that, but yeah. I think that I think he had something absolutely ridiculous. Which this season probably yeah. probably right. the best year <laughs> ever to pick something absolutely ridiculous. Yes. But I don't think his pick came to fruition. Otherwise, and, uh, he, would, he would have told us already. And we can. You can go back and listen, or we can we can find this clip if we want to. Um, Yossi declaring that Penn would be the national champions, uh, unfortunately, didn't end up happening. Um, yeah, didn't work out. But uh, you know, I you know, I had two brackets. I took Penn and went on both. Um, <laughs> I you know it might call me crazy, but I could have seen a world where that happens. Uh, obviously it didn't, but um, what world are you living in? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't regret anything. I don't regret anything. Good. Well, who do you got? Who do you have winning now? Because I mean, it's just wide open. I mean, wh- who do you who do you see coming out of this thing? Yeah. So, um, you know, if if you go back and listen to the other podcast, I said that the Virginia Cavaliers would win the entire tournament. That obviously is not going to happen because they got knocked out in a historic sixteen over one upset. But uh, what people don't know is that in between recording that podcast and filling out my bracket, uh, we all learned that DeAndre Hunter was going to be out for the tournament because of, I think, a wrist injury or something like that. And he's a, an important six-man on Virginia. So I ended up actually picking Villanova to win the national title in my brackets, which is looking better, and I'm sticking with Nova. Um, they've looked great in their first two games, which they should. They haven't really run into real competition yet, but they've not even looked scared for a minute, which you can't say of really any other teams in the yeah, bracket. I think the teams remaining Villanova is definitely the team to beat now. Yeah. Um, some excitement for Big Five in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah the, the, the the Big Five had more teams in the tournament than most other conferences. That's that's actually true. Um, and that's with Temple in a down year. Right. I mean, we're not Although, a real conference. We're half the size. But, yeah. yeah. Temple, I think, won a couple games in the NIT, though. So, shout-outs to uh, Quentin Rose and Shiz Alston Jr. Yeah, they're the deep end state. I mean, but, uh, yeah. You know, I, I've got Penn Villanova. This year. I've got Villanova as well. Um, what I've liked about them so far is that they've been the quietest team in the entire tournament to me. Like, I think that they've, you know, they had that kind of marquee matchup against Alabama in the round of 32. But they just kind of blew him out right and Colin Sexton's having a great year he's gonna be yeah. a lottery pick so yeah. I mean I, I'm feeling pretty good about that one I did say Kansas last week and so one Cole Jacobson might say it's soft that I switched my pick but nonetheless I did switch my pick um, but I'm feeling pretty good about it I do I, I will say this though I picked against my hometown team the Florida State Seminoles who made the sweet 16 that was an L I, I deserve an F for that one so I don't even deserve to win to win any kind of bracket pool this year because I picked against my own team and they won so that's just unfortunate Florida State I think a sleeper to I'm not even saying this to gas Carter up I think a sleeper to to go deep they have a lot of talent on that team they couldn't put it together this entire season um, but it looks like maybe they're putting it together now I don't know they they haven't like really been tested Xavier was a very weak Mm one seed but um they did an impressive combat at the end and that's they not, definitely that's, did that's not easy to do it they i don't care did. what team it is no. yeah um, well um here's the thing i never well I'm, not, I'm gonna say this this way there's no chance we beat gonzaga which is exactly what i said with xavier <laughs> and we won so i'm saying there's no chance we beat gonzaga hoping that 
I am proven wrong, and I get to feel the elation and celebration of FSU beating Gonzaga and of getting and playing an F in the Elite on the podcast. Exactly. Yes. So F is for Florida. <laughs> F is for Florida State. Oh, right. Sorry. Right. That reminds me. Uh, we failed to call Carter out, which I want to apologize for. Um, listeners might not know Carter, big Florida State Seminoles fan. He was allowed to uh, talk badly about the Florida Gators on the podcast. Nobody called him out for it. We thought he was just giving us basketball analysis. I later realized that uh, it might have been a little bit more than basketball analysis, but it wasn't not biased journalism, <laughs> but it was close to biased journalism. <laughs> I based it on the fact that the SEC was weak, but I also just do not like the University of Florida. Simple as that. I just cannot root for them in any way, shape, or form, unless it's volleyball, because I have a friend on the volleyball team. But that's it. That's the only one I give myself. Um. So let's, we should just quickly mention, I mentioned it before, but uh, obviously we were disappointed that Penn did not have um, their little moment with the historic 16-over-1 upset, but another program did. Um, you know, I think it's a little bittersweet. I'm sure it's bittersweet for the members of the team, but UMBC obviously upset Virginia, the number one team in the country, uh, in an in- incredible fashion. They basically blew them out. Not basically, they did, um, and so that you know that was incredible. I don't know if anybody has any anything to add on that. Well, I mean, it was just I, I got to watch a lot of that game, which was pretty cool. Um, as a fan of college basketball and just basketball in general, to watch the first ever sixteen-one upset was a pretty cool sports moment for me personally. But it wasn't even very dramatic. The, like the last five minutes, you just kind of knew that it was going to happen. And, you just were kind of waiting for the clock to tick down and see that it was going to go, you know, UMBC's way. And that was just, that was a pretty cool sports moment. There are a few things that I've really gotten to see like that, like a first time this has ever happened kind of thing. Right. And that was very cool. That was a very cool sports moment. I think that anyone who's a fan of college basketball felt the same way. Um, I really wanted them to be in the Sweet 16 because I think that would have been an unbelievable story, but wow i mean i mean so many people had virginia and that's probably one of the greatest sports upsets of all time i, I think not so. only in basketball but it, of and, across all sports and you know I, people were mentioning this after the game so this is not an original observation but i think it's worth mentioning virginia now holds claim to two of the greatest basketball upsets definitely the two mm-hmm. greatest basketball upsets of all time because uh people might remember they lost to Chaminade, I think, in the, what, the 80s? It was when Ralph Sampson was on yeah. the team. <laughs> and, uh, and that was, for a long time, considered the greatest upset of all time. Now they've lost to UMBC. So I, I think big, big shout-out to Virginia for providing all of us college basketball fans with some of the great moments <laughs> over the years. Uh, thank you to Tony Bennett and the, the UVA program. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 no, I, I'll just say that I do feel for Tony Bennett. I don't think this kid's I, – I think he's a great coach. I oh, I think he's a great coach. And too. I think, they, you know, uh, their performance aside, I think they just about handled it as well as they could have. I mean, obviously, they, they're on the completely they wrong side of history. Right. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this question, but one reporter – uh, at the press conference, like, literally minutes after the game ended, obviously emotions are still very raw. He's like, are you guys aware that you're the first one seed to ever lose <laughs> to 16? And it's like, 
yeah, I think they were aware. Um, I'm gonna but, uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that that reporter is not an alum of the Daily Pennsylvanian because I, I hope so. We teach better interview questions yeah. than that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I you know I think for them, you know, they'll be bad. You know, I think they have, they have a good system. DeAndre yeah. Hunter will be bad. Kyle Guy. Kyle Guy. I mean, uh, we'll see if they can actually do some damage in the tournament. They haven't, you know, historic. I know in the recent memory they haven't been able to do right. much, but uh, has. Penn has been to more Final Fours than Virginia all time. Is that right? Virginia never I, been I, Final I'm pretty four? sure Virginia's never never been to a Final Four. No, we, we can fact check that. Have they? I think they definitely have. Yeah. I think so. I like to better the way that I have a national champion. No, they, they definitely uh, do. No, I think they do. No, they they went to two Final Fours. It seems like '81. So that was uh, that was yeah. two years after Penn made theirs. Right? Do they okay. do they not have a national championship? No, no, no they've never won a national championship. Two That's fascinating. fascinating. Virginia only has one more Final Four than Penn. Right. So they only have to wait until Penn goes back to the Final Four, and then two seasons later they'll be able to go back if, if we follow the patterns of history. Well, when we're a 12 seed next year, we can do it. Right. And so then in what year will that be? 2021, Peg Virginia as a Final Four team. Right. You heard it here first. Put that in your bracket now. I think you get extra points if you put it down three years in <laughs> advance before the field's been set. Um, anyway, uh, this is running on a little long, so why don't we skip to uh, Hard Nose Player of the Week, if that's all right with everybody. Uh, we have a uh, – I guess we don't have a shortened version because Mark, uh, yeah. although he was not able to make it, sent in over text to Yossi uh, his picks – but, uh, Carter, why don't you start us off while UC's pulling that up? Yeah, absolutely. So my nominee this week is Reed Junkin, the goalie for the men's lacrosse team. And he had a particularly hard-nosed performance because if anybody has spent any time or knows anything about college lacrosse, when you play goalie, that ball is coming at you really fast, and it hurts a lot. And that man had 20 saves in their game this weekend. That is a lot of times to not let up a goal. So the dude was a wall in the net, didn't let any shots in, so he's my hard-nosed player of the week for not being soft. Uh, Should I read Mark's real quick? Yeah, sure. All right, so yeah, Mark, Mark sent me this, and I'm actually deciding uh, who wins. But this is Something this, that he's very proud of. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, but uh, I'll, I'll just read what he said verbatim. Uh, my vote is Caleb Wood. Even as Kansas keyed up on him, he still find, found a way to find his shots. Those percentage wasn't great from the, that field. From He said that field, I assume you meant the field. He showed a lot of so grit. A typo laden rambling from Mark Margolis. Uh oh. That was percentage wasn't great from the field. He showed a lot of grit in finding and taking shots with Kansas's suffocated defense. And then he said, Feel free to have someone else summarize that. No. <laughs> no. Uh, and then he said, And I expect sympathy consideration. It will be too. Well, m- what about softness consideration for not making it into the office? Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. So, my hard-nosed player of the oh, week... Sorry, sorry. Oh. He also sent me a winky face. So. Okay, that's cute. Um, my hard-nosed player of the week is Zoe Bellado. She's a freshman midi on the women's lacrosse team. Uh, she was a big part, I would say the big part, of women's lax's drubbing of Duke. Duke came into the game uh, ranked number 19 in the country. Not sure how far they've fallen since then, but uh, Penn beat them 7 nothing. Five of those seven goals were scored by Bellado herself. The other two she assisted on. Um, she had her hand in every single score of the entire game. She plays midi, so she was involved on defense. She's got to run up and down the field in every play. Uh, and she's a freshman, and I think that that's tough as hell. So she's my hard-nosed player of the week. 
Uh, well, I pre- everyone, I appreciate that, that the, your, your selections. Uh, I think you all made strong arguments, even you, Mark. Uh, although, I mean, I, Caleb Wood had a great week. I, you know, I'll, I'll admit that Mark didn't make the strongest argument over text. Um, perhaps. He's more convincing in person. Yes. Yeah. Can I just, I'm not allowed to pit co uh, hard nose players. No, no, that's, that's soft. 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 My bad. Um, I'll, I'll rule Mark out. I uh, just, it's tough. Um, and Carter, I love what you had to say about Reed, but I'm no. sorry. I'm <laughs> Uh, you're sounding like you're not going to pick me, though. Yeah, I'm not picking you. Oh. <laughs> Congratulations, yes. Sam. Thank you very this much. This is the first time? This is my first uh, win, yes. Proud to get on the leaderboard. Uh, and many more to come. And congrats to Zoe Bellidou. Thank you very much for helping me get this victory. And uh, I hope you score many more goals. Mark uh, moves into first, last place totals. <laughs> for the hard host player of the week, wow. he now leads with three spots of last for his nominees. I guess that's is that how we should do it? We shouldn't say who the winner is. We should say who's in last because that's the most soft person. I think so. Okay, that I, I like that because that yeah. that means that I'm not in last. Um, <laughs> well, well, thank you so much for joining us again on Penalty Box. We hope you enjoyed our extended conversations about the NCAA tournament. Uh, we're sure to bring you more of that next weekend after the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, um, as well as much more coverage from all things Penn Athletics. Uh, thank you so much to our producers, Joseph Weitzman, who's sitting here right next to me, and our other producer, Lauren Sorrentino. See you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.